Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath it. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round is... Well, you better call Saul, which means naturally we're going to be talking about some of the best television created in the last 20 years. And also we're going to go back about two and a half thousand years to talk about the slow, painful, problematic evolution of legal systems and in particular lawyers slash solicitors slash orators, because that was their original name. So if all this sounds like fun, then please come with me on a really interesting journey where we're going to, oh, oh, we're just going to have fun with this. Let's have some fun, y'all. This has to start with a completely different TV series. There was, in 2008, a TV series that started called Breaking Bad. Yeah, Mr. White. Yes, science! Now, in 2008, streaming series, they existed, but they hadn't really become the force that they are now. And I remember in the back of a magazine, basically, there was a time in the early 2000s when, and this is indeed what both Blockbuster and Netflix did originally, well, not, not Blockbusters originally, but they evolved into this. But for a while in the early 2000s, you could be part of the subscription and you would send off and you would get DVDs that you could play. Make a list of the movies you want to see. And in about one business day, you'll get three DVDs. Keep them as long as you want without late fees. And I remember the cover for the first series of Breaking Bad with this middle aged man standing there in a shirt and little tight white underpants and no trousers on looking a little bit confused and the headline was it's the story of a teacher with terminal cancer who turns to a life of drugs and it's like that sounds really depressing no thank you and so i didn't get onto the breaking bad train until season four which by then it was winning award after award and the emmy goes to brian cranston it was the hottest thing on TV, and I thought, I clearly misjudged this thing. And everybody else, when I started watching, I was hooked like crazy. 
In fact, again, the, the last season came out in 2013. And again, this is the era when DVD still was a thing. You would buy sort of like your box sets. I mean, people still refer to streaming services where you can get all the series as a box set of whatever it may be. And I remember getting the first half of the season on, I didn't realize it was the first half of the fifth and final season, and the very last scene at the very end of the middle of season five, as I then knew, is that basically the brother-in-law of the terminally ill Walter White, the, the teacher, He's sitting on the loo and he opens a book and it reveals that, you know, this man who spent his life trying, well, actually he works for the DEA, he's trying to, to fight drug crime. His brother, own brother-in-law is a drug criminal. W.W. <laughs> I mean, who you figure that is, yeah? Woodrow Wilson, Willy Wonka, Walter White. And Liz and I, my wife and I, we looked at each other at the end and went, oh, what a brilliant way to finish it. You know, you make up what happens next. Oh, wow, that's, that's so clever. Again, what, what a great example of the writing from Vince Gilligan. And he is the creator, by the way, of both series. But then I found out when I went on to IMDb, hang on, I didn't see that bit. I, I don't recall that. And I realized there was a whole <laughs> half of another season to go. And lo and behold, the final, final, proper final episode, although is it the final? Because then this El Camino, the sort of follow-up TV movie that Netflix created, it gets a little bit complicated. So look, I am at some point going to take you through my true story about the whole of Breaking Bad, but that gives you an idea. So I sort of got into it late in the game, but not as late as some people who only realized it was awesome after it had already run. And indeed, because it won so many awards, and it was the biggest hit on Stars, which is a streaming option in America, it's either streaming or it's cable, I can't remember. But the point is, I don't care because it wasn't a way that you could consume it in the UK. But interestingly, with Stars, they had a limitation on things like bad language. Whereas HBO, you can curse your socks off and it's absolutely fine. It's not TV, it's HBO. With Stars, they were only allowed to have one F word per series. So Vince Gilligan said, you know, if we're only allowed one, then we will always make it count. It's never going to be a throwaway. It's going to be a real moment of, oh no, or stronger language than that. So it does mean that we get Jesse with his catchphrase to do with female dogs. I, I don't know if Greg's going to put in his any of this, by the way. Hold on to your hat. Stop that. That's obviously not quite as harsh language, and it allowed you to sort of have this kind of street kid kind of person still using crude language, but not HBO crude, shall we say. So there were some very clever writing ways around situations. There was, however, one criticism about it, that as it went over 62 episodes, five seasons, that the central story was brilliant, the central character was amazing, the other characters that sort of get swept up in this are really interesting. His wife, the actress Skylo, is the name of the, the actual character, but the actress herself was sort of like getting hate mail and things like that. It's just terrible. It shows you the power of the writing, but that's toxic, don't do that ever. And also, from her perspective, you can see her point of view. Nobody wants their husband to suddenly become, in their later years, a drug dealer. That, that's not good, that's not healthy, that's not what you signed up to when you first got married or anything like that. So, I could go on and on about that, but the point is, all good things must come to an end. Or do they?
in the world of entertainment there's always a chance for a prequel sequel something happening at the same time whatever like i said i've already mentioned el camino which is this sort of one-off it's actually quite a nice sort of like wrap up of a couple of the characters after the main events it's very good but really the only reason why it was created was because breaking bad was so awesome rather than el camino if you watched it on your own you wouldn't get it at all it's not the place to start but one of the characters that is met early on in i believe it's season two is saul goodman saul goodman is a defense attorney who is definitely uh tap dancing on razor blades over a volcano in terms of what's legal and what isn't what are you doing detective what are you doing talking to my client without me present you sneaky pete and sometimes he falls in he does defense work for some very dubious individuals and also for a fee he can help you launder your money so yeah this is a man who's actively committing crimes and we'll come on to the implications of that later on Saul Goodman was a great character, played by Bob Odenkirk. Uh, he was one of these great character actors. You'd seen him in lots of things, but he'd never really starred in anything. And normally, he was being comical. This, it was sort of... Well, the great thing about Breaking Bad is it's an out-and-out -out drama, no doubt about that. People die, horrible things happen, moral dilemmas galore. It is wonderful. There are times when you loathe Walter, and there are times when you love Walter and really empathize with him. And Saul was kind of the same thing, only he was so big and brassy and just a wonderful character to play. So, when everything's finished, what do we do next? And Vince Vic Gilligan came up with the idea. So, everything finished in 2013, and the idea was. Well, this Saul Goodman character is so big, and we sort of meet him fully formed. Let's find out how he came to be. An origin story, if you like, for Saul Goodman. Seriously, when the going gets tough, you don't want a criminal lawyer. You want a criminal lawyer. But the complaint about Breaking Bad is, while the central area is awesome, there was a lot of filler. There's a lot of set-up shots and... Sort of people sometimes just sullenly sitting there at the dinner table eating in silence and we already know what's going on but this scene will go on for maybe a minute or so the fans will say you're giving it time to breathe the critics will say you're filling time and i do think both points are valid and unfortunately with better call saul while the good bits are just as good as breaking bad it is expertly written the characters once again are wonderful and fully fledged and we get a number of the characters from breaking bad in this as well and we get to find out more about their backgrounds and they also get to do cool adventures which we kind of already always wanted to see a bit of wish fulfillment there but it introduces new characters and new dilemmas but oh my goodness if we're going to talk about filler then better call saul really has a big problem in that area for starters it's six seasons. We don't need six seasons to find out how Saul Goodman became a lawyer. Now, obviously, it's a lot more than that. And quite tellingly, because it shows you the drugs trade before Walter White, by its own admission, it's like there isn't enough here to be sort of like a comedy drama about the rise of a dubious lawyer. We need more to fill time. But the thing is, when we first meet Saul Goodman, we find out that's not even his name. He's Jimmy McGill. And he'd been a bit of a hustler, and he'd been a kind of paralegal, and he's got this brilliant lawyer brother 
who's just everything that Jimmy isn't, and there is just this venal hatred between the two of them, even though there's also the brotherly love there too. However, the brother is sort of allergic to electricity, but there's this big question mark of how much is this is psychosomatic, he's clearly had some kind of breakdown, or is this a real thing? And that goes on for theories. And while there's never really a bad scene, there's too much setting up. This, I'll give you an example. There's one bit where, for whatever reasons, our hero, or anti-hero, take your pick, is working in a mobile phone shop, a cell phone shop, basically dealing with, like, disposable phones, which are key in the drugs trade, but he's not there yet. And so there's this whole montage as you see him painting up a special offer on the windows of the store. That's not character development. That's That doesn't bring on the plot. We already knew that he was going to do a deal about the phones. He was going to try and improve his sales. Good for him, by the way. But this scene goes on for maybe a minute and a half. And then by the end of the episode, things haven't quite worked out the way we want to. And we then get about another minute of him wiping it all off. You know, that's two and a half minutes. That's 5% of the entire episode of, of just watching somebody doing manual labor. And that's not the only time. In the sixth and final season of Better Call Saul, every episode opens with this kind of montage. The very first episode of the last season, there's this wonderful kind of panning shot going around. This is clearly happening after Breaking Bad because you see his house with all the, the accoutrements that are souls and you know they're souls, the flashy suits and all this kind of stuff and the ridiculously gaudy attire in the in the room. All of this is being taken down. Clearly debitors and creditors are taking it all in. It's all done to a wonderful song. You could just see this is the panning shot at the beginning of a movie where you'd get the credits over it. Except in this situation, there are no credits. It's just seeing this stuff being packed away. Now, some of these things have significance, but this goes on for a good three minutes. This is getting to 10% of the episode, and each episode is opening up, maybe not with three minutes, but like with two minutes of just, for want of a better phrase, stuff. And, you know, as I've been going through Better Call Saul, there's been an element of just get on with it. Yes, get on with it! Could we please find out how Jimmy McGill turns into Saul Goodman? Because there's no twist there. We know he will. And we know this is the problem that if somebody sticks a gun in your face in, like, episode five of season two, we know you're not going to die because you're in this thing that's happening later on, so you'll get out of it. So they do a great job with other characters. Other characters aren't in Breaking Bad, does that mean they're going to die? Does that mean that they head off into the sunset happily? How does their existence impact on Saul Goodman or maybe Walter White by some sort of like lateral logic or something like that? It's a really clever, really intelligently, brilliantly directed, marvelously written series that does lapse into self-indulgence from time to time. And I think that's going to be probably the fairest depiction of Saul a better call sold that you can get. Let's start with some tough love, all right? To give you an idea, Breaking Bad on IMDb. IMDb is this great thing, and, and it's similar on Metacritic. I don't like Rotten Tomatoes because it's just binary there. It's either it's either good or bad. And we all know that sometimes things are like a, a three star. It's like, it's fine. It's okay. 
but in in Rotten Tomatoes, it's either good or bad. So I'd rather get sort of like a percentage or something like that to give us an overview idea of quality. Like I say, Metacritic's a great place to go, but personal choices, you know, dealer's choice. Here you are on my podcast. I like IMDb. And to give you an idea that you know, if you get a solid series or a you know, really good, impressive series, if it can get up to an average of like eight or 8.5, you know it's a really good series. Hardly anything gets to sort of like 9.9 .9 as an overall average. Something like Band of Brothers or Chernobyl, but those two are sort of short series. Those are like 9.8, 9.9, all of it. But then again, we're talking about 10 or sort of eight episodes, six episodes, something like that. With Better Call Saul, or in the case of Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad's average across 62 episodes is 9.5. It's basically the best reviewed TV show ever, ongoing TV show. With Better Call Saul, it is not quite as good, but with 8.8, .8, it's up there. You know, it beats things like The Sopranos or Game of Thrones. It may be the prequel, it may be the little brother to the big thing. But it is still a towering, towering achievement in this situation. So with that in mind, just want to talk a little bit more about what actually Saul Goodman's doing. I'm not going to go into all the plot and things like that. I've given you some setup there. And I would certainly, I mean, the big argument is, I guess, with like Star Wars as well. Do you start with the originals or do you go with the prequels? I would actually say start with the prequels because it's only going to get better and better as you go along. And if you can deal with the slight sort of, as I say, you know, it's sort of randomness or, or sort of slow pacing at times, then it's actually going to feel quicker when you when you move along. And also, it's all in the can now. It's all definitely going to happen. Bob Odenkirk, sadly, I think it was in 2021, had a heart attack. And there's a big question about will he be able to finish any of this stuff? I mean, great to see he made a full recovery. There is a slight problem that he looks decidedly older now. And let's face it, it finished being filmed in 2022, and yet he was filming stuff in 2008. So that's, what, 14 years difference? Everybody's going to look a bit older there, but here he's actually... So he's actually going to look younger and younger and healthier and healthier as we go along. So I would personally start with Better Call Saul. Better call Saul. But as I say, he is a dubious lawyer, but he is a d defense lawyer. And obviously, in all sort of like Western societies, you basically have the rights to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, an attorney will be supplied for you. I mean, this is the sort of stuff that is said in your Miranda rights in America. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. In other words, a police officer is by law having to tell you what you can and can't do as you're being arrested. It's been shown multiple times in TV series, you know, the right to remain silent, all that kind of stuff. But part of that, the sort of second half of that, is about your legal representation, and everybody does get their day in court. Now, what most people don't realize is if you are a prosecutor, you are working for the government and you get paid less. But if you like, you have the moral certainty of you're trying to get that drug dealer into prison or that, you know, that mugger into prison, armed robber or something like that. You know, you're doing the good work, whereas a defense attorney basically you're trying to stop that drug dealer going to prison. Now, you're innocent until proven guilty. But, well, to give you a little insight, my father is a fully qualified lawyer when he was doing his legal training in Turkey in the 1960s, but he never practiced because my father 
has the gift of the gap. He is so convincing. He is an amazing salesperson, and sales and legal arguments are very, very similar. I've heard this, had this conversations with, with sort of lawyers and solicitors. And my father had a fundamental issue that he wanted to make money, so he's going to go into defense, but he didn't like the idea of defending somebody he was knew to be completely guilty and get him off. You know, how are you going to live with yourself with that? So he never practiced. But that is the moral argument that you have to do in criminal law. That's the other thing, of course. There are lots of different types of law. So congratulations, you are 18 years old, you are going to university, and you're going to do a law degree. What does the future hold for you? Well, if you want to sleep well at night, if you want to guarantee your place in the good place when you die, then you're going to become a criminal prosecutor for the government or the Crown Prosecution Service in Britain. That way you are putting bad people behind bars. Good for you. If, however, you like an argument and you want to earn lots of money, then you might well be the defence attorney or defence solicitor for one of these individuals who's being charged with heinous crimes. But if you want to make the real money, then you're not even going to be in criminal law. This is the thing, we, we tend to only see criminal law being portrayed on TV. That's what Saul Goodman does, for example, and he slowly realises that this is what he was born to do, to tiptoe on the edges of the law and basically get these dubious people off. And yeah, I can understand for a certain type of person that's just endlessly intellectually rewarding. But things like... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
business law, like mergers and acquisitions. There is there's something called the magic circle in Britain. These are the top, top law firms. And Britain has some of the biggest law firms in the world. You know, massive organizations like Slaughter and May, which is just a brilliant name. Come on. Yeah. So, of course, they have a criminal legal wing, but they spend far more money and far more time working in things like massive business mergers. So, for example, this may have fallen through, but when you've got Mr. Tesla himself, Elon Musk, he was going to buy Twitter for 44 billion, even though it didn't happen, probably millions of dollars of legal time had been already tied up in that, as both parties need to look at everything. Then there is also things like medical law, you know, things like, I mean, this is particularly big in America, where something went wrong with your operation, you can sometimes sue for damages depending on negligence and things like that. Dr. House, you've caused me considerable mental distress. I certainly hope so. What, too cheap to get your lawyer to serve it for you? Is it just more fun this way? So there are lots of different types of lawyers. It isn't just are you going to prison or not? There's civil law as well, and all these different areas. And that's important to remember because I'm going to be mentioning that when we move on to the whole history stuff. But the thing is, and again, I can't speak for every country because the legal systems are different in every country, but in general, particularly I know this to be true in both Britain and America, if you are a lawyer and you've actually been found guilty of a crime, you can't be a lawyer anymore. It's kind of like almost you're doing the opposite of your job. It, it would be the same as a police officer. You can't have been an armed robber and now you're a police officer. You pick one or the other sides. But it means that even sometimes like things like minor misdemeanors can have significant impact. A funny story about that. I actually feel a need to hide the name of the individualness, but there was a... Uh, uh, do you know what? I'm going to say it anyway. So anyway, Nigel Mansell in the 1990s was a great British Formula One driver. I believe he won the F1 title once. Oh, fantastic! We won the championship! Yes! And the thing is, though, to drive an F1 car, you need to have a car license. And Mr. Mansell at one point, allegedly, I feel the need to put in allegedly here, was driving quite fast down the road and the police officer pulled him over Allegedly, I'm going to put in another allegedly there, and the police officer knocked on the window and actually said, who do you think you are, Nigel Mansell, and then saw himself staring in the face of a rather perturbed Nigel Mansell. And the reason why Mansell was allegedly worried about the situation was he was driving so fast, in theory, he could have his driving license revoked, which would mean he wouldn't be allowed to drive a Formula One car. Now, I've seen a number of videos of, of lawyers talking about Better Call Saul and what they get right and what they get wrong. And the general consensus is, of course, things are heightened for drama, but at the same time, they get the legal system, at least in America, right. And they say, you know, that you actually hear things like legal hearings, which are things you generally don't see. It, you know, basically, whenever there is something going on in a law TV series or a law movie, it's the big case. 
It's not actually all the hearings beforehand or selecting the jury and other sorts of areas which are very much day to day. And the other thing a lot of lawyers in America like is the fact that food courts don't really exist in courthouses where, wherever you are in America. Sort of so seeing these lawyers, relatively well paid lawyers, sort of standing around these vending machines getting a really terrible tuna sandwich out of it and an awful coffee next to it. That apparently is more of the life of a lawyer than most people realize. So it gets high marks for legal realism, maybe not so much high marks for sort of like uh, the dramatic stuff, but this is thoroughly watchable. This is the best at what TV drama can do. I've said previously that in the cinema, superhero movies are basically winning. And nowadays, when it comes to the big movie production companies, things like Universal and Paramount and, you know, Disney and Sony, etc., they will either release very, very low budget indie movies because, look, if they cost five million, if they only make 15 million at the box office, we still covered our money and made a profit. Or it's the mega hundred plus million dollar budget, mega blockbuster, things like Thor Love and Thunder or Top Gun Maverick even. So all these things are big, big budget, but there isn't a lot of room for the middle movies anymore. The 1990s, if you think of things like Shawshank Redemption, middle budget, that actually flopped at the box office, but, you know, it was highly, highly regarded. Then you got something like A Few Good Men, that's a classic legal drama type situation, starring Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson, although Jack Nicholson's only in it for a few minutes, and yet he permeates that entire movie. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! That is another classic of a middle-budget movie. A lot of the legal drama movies were kind of these middle-budget movies, A Time to Kill, for example. They're just not made anymore. It's either huge explosions or very small art house slash horror. And there's not really a lot in between anymore. And the reason for that is because something like Shawshank Redemption is a really cool drama and it's actually quite a long movie. So it could have been a one-off TV series, like eight episodes and done. If it had been stretched out over like eight 45-minute episodes, it probably could have withstood that weight and we would have found out even more about Andy Dufresne and the goings-on in, in the situation. It would have been even sweeter, the ending, which I'm not going to ruin for you if you haven't seen Shawshank Redemption. If you haven't seen Shawshank Redemption, go and see it right now. Stop this podcast, watch it, you'll thank me later. Anyway, the thing about the likes of Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire, Better Call Saul, etc., is you have tens of hours to be with these characters. You really get to see what makes them tick. You get to see how they interact with their partners and, and other things and their evolution over time. Again, the thing about Breaking Bad, that it's one of the greatest character arcs of any character in any form of fiction ever, be it books, movies, TV shows, whatever. Walter White is one of the most complex and interesting characters you will ever see on screen. And while Saul Goodman isn't quite there, he's very close. It's still fascinating seeing how much he's changed from season one to season six, but he still feels out of depth at times. So I think I've done enough to sort of show you that I'm a big fan of Better Call Saul, but I'm not going to turn around and say it's perfect either. But he is a lawyer. So what is one? Now, I mentioned right at the beginning, orators, and that was the first name in the Athenian form of both democracy 
and also their judicial system. And it is interesting because when it comes to juries, even at their conception, people knew that there was a problem with jury service. So the idea is this. First of all, you gather, okay, I'm sorry about this, everybody, but the Athenian democracy might have been a democracy, but they had slaves and women couldn't vote or basically be seen barely in public. So we're talking about men here, okay? Free men, Athenian men. So they would basically, when it was time to hear a court case, free men would gather in the market square and then they would select the jury and basically the hearing, basically the whole judicial process went basically from sunup to sundown. You had one day to prove the case, whether it was something basic like, let's say, sheep rustling, to something really complex like murder. So why only one day? Because, well, the fact that everybody's gathering in the market square means that nobody knows who's going to be picked for jury service. So I don't know who to bribe to see it my way. Or I bribe everybody there, in which case everybody knows that this is a fixed judicial hearing. So that's quite a clever way to keep the jury from being tampered with. Then you've got the fact that it's one day means that these this jury is seen in public for the whole day so nobody can get to them and again sway them with money or threats. And therefore tomorrow there's no point talking to them because the case is over. It's an elegant way to solve the issue of jury tampering which is still a problem today. I have an idea. Um, I don't think so. I kind of a... Crazy idea. Jury tampering. I love it. I love it. Indeed, in America, and you can't do this in Britain, but in America, there's this entire situation where you can start to, you can start picking jury people. There are there are people who make a career of reading the body language and background of these individuals in the jury to work out which ones are more likely to be pro your side of the case or against your side of the case and there are a certain number that you could actually strike and there are a certain number that you, you obviously you have to end up with 12. So again if you're sitting there going that sounds a bit seedy it's like yeah that sort of built-in problem has been there since the beginning of the idea of laws with some kind of legal representation there. The other thing that you might find a bit seedy is I was talking about money with lawyers, and indeed lawyers are not well looked upon kind of anywhere. More on that later. I'm not a pirate. So happens I am a lawyer. Kill the lawyer! Kill the lawyer! I'm not that kind of lawyer. Actually, before I go any further, guys, if you could please click subscribe. You can meet me on Twitter. I'm at GemDeducho on Twitter. Say hello. A review. Please, if you can give us a review that helps the algorithm sort of spread our name a little bit further. We've been doing well recently with listener numbers. Thank you so much for the new people. Hello. Thank you for joining the party. But please, if you could, each one of you just tell one other person. That'd be great. This all takes time and energy to do, you know. There you go. That's my pitch over and done with. So the thing is, the idea of the more I spend on a lawyer, the better the legal defense I get is an uneasy feeling because in theory justice should be blind not justice goes to the person with the biggest wallet that's not a nice sort of thing to think about and that happened at the very beginning and with the Athenians the idea was that you you'd be represented by a friend or a family member and they would be called the orator and they were not paid for their time funnily enough over a period of time 
people were better at it than others, and the ones that were better at it started to being asked to do a favour for other people when they needed representation, and so they had to pretend that they were a friend of this person and were being paid under the table, shall we say. So even at the beginning of legal processes, we get this idea that the orator, there are some are good, some are bad. And indeed, you've all heard of the concept of rhetoric. Rhetoric, we know who invented it. It was Corax of Syracuse. Syracuse was an Athenian, a sort of ancient Greek colony in modern day Sicily, but it sort of like ran to the Athenian ideals, if you like, or the Athenian processes. And the point of rhetoric is, it's the illusion of a conversation between yourself and an audience. That can't happen. You know, if a comedian walked out on stage in front of 200 people and said, where's everybody from today? You just hear, blah, 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 blah. you can't pick out any particular words. However, there are times when a great politician or a great comedian says something and it's so insightful. It's like, oh my goodness, they looked into my own head here. That's usually an example of rhetoric. The rhetorical question is also designed to sort of drag you in. So it's you know, a classic political thing is a rhetoric. Do you know what everybody's worried about at the moment? And already your brain is running through it. You know, is it inflation? Is it the Ukraine war? Is it the environment? Is it the economy? You know, no matter, it's all like, so long as what they say next is reasonable, your brain will go, yeah, yeah, it was that one. It was definitely that one. So do you know what everybody's worried about at the moment? It's inflation. And and you probably are a bit at the moment, and therefore, but it sounds insightful. It's a trick. And the point is, Corax of Syracuse, who was one of these orators, didn't create this idea of rhetoric to find out who was guilty and who was innocent. He created it to be more compelling and win arguments. And then when other people worked out his oratory tricks, they started copying them as well. And that's where rhetoric comes from. It's a sign that you are a good public speaker and nothing else. It does not tell you about your morality one way or another. Now, the idea of like having legal representation, that's spread into other societies. And so what's interesting is in the year 204 BC, so Corax and all these sorts of people are in the sort of 500s BC, or perhaps a little bit earlier than that, but in 204 in Rome, there was specifically a law released where these orators or lawyers were not allowed to be paid for their services. So in other words, we just want people to do it out of the goodness of their own hearts. It's a wonderful idea. And this law we know was widely ignored. People like Cicero, the famous Cicero, partly earned his money from being a good lawyer. And we know he was paid for it. But it was one of these things where it was technically illegal, but nobody's going to charge you for it because do you really want to annoy the good lawyer that could be defending you at some point? So it just shows you how quickly, how murky the world of lawyering goes. Quick joke for you on that one. What do you call a hundred lawyers in the bottom of a well? Answer, good start. Yeah, I mean, there are lots of lawyer stories of blood-sucking lawyers and things like that. It can tip into anti-Semitism because, again, because Jewish communities weren't allowed to sort of fight in armies or work the soil in lots of medieval societies, they basically ended up having to become merchants, some kind of financial person like a pawnbroker, or get into the world of solicitation because those are the only ways they could make money which is why you know we get these sort of stereotypes which are yeah pretty much anti-semitic all of this is happening but then obviously you get the collapse of the roman empire the collapse of that system and there weren't lots of lawyers in things like anglo-saxon england and, and places like that instead we start seeing a return to this idea of 
legal experts not dealing with civil cases or criminal cases, but with church cases. By round about 1150, we start seeing the specialization of some priests in canon law. Nothing to do with guns, everything to do with the church. And at the time, the 1150s, the church was hugely powerful, so that these people had to make claims for, for land and inheritance. Lots of people, rich people dying and giving their lands to churches. Obviously, that might be contested by their children. We would quite like to keep owning that bit of Kent. No, that goes to the Archbishop of Canterbury now. So you needed somebody to sort out all these legal wranglings. And so, whereas the Middle Ages is seen as kind of lawless, and sort of it was earlier on, by the time we get to the High Middle Ages, Lawyers were absolutely a fundamental part of society. Indeed, we go into the Renaissance era and we start getting people going to the New World. And what I find fascinating is when we get to Pizarro, so he was like the other big conquistador. He went into South America, particularly Peru, ended up fighting the Incan Empire, very similar to what happened with Cortes and the Aztecs. We're talking about massacres. We're talking about a big difference in terms of weapons technology and also the exchange of germs leading to probably millions of local people dying. But it is worth remembering, the Aztecs were an empire, the Incans were an empire. They weren't necessarily one homogenous group. So there was all this vicious fighting. It gets very complicated very quickly, but Pizarro was not a good guy, okay? We're talking about enslavement. We're talking about sort of pillaging and sort of like getting as much gold back to Spain, completely enriching yourself. But what was interesting is one of the first things he did when he was setting up laws in this new world in South America is no lawyers, because that would be going too far. Can't possibly have lawyers getting involved there. So that's in the 1500s. And that shows you another example of how people don't like lawyers. But when you do have to be represented by somebody in the legal profession, then you really, really do want a good one. And you know what? I'd quite like Saul Goodman to represent me if, his, if I was in a tight spot, because I know he would do everything, legal or otherwise, to get me off the hook. Better call Saul! Which is maybe more than I wanted to admit to on a podcast, but anyway. So the point is this, so the legal systems have been around for a long, long time. Not every Western country even has a jury. France, for example, it tends to be done in front of three actual judges. Now, you could argue that they might be biased, or you could argue that because they know more about the law, they're less easy to be swayed with just sort of like emotive language, and they understand what is and isn't actually allowed in the eyes of the law. It was actually that format that was at the Nuremberg trials in 1946, basically when the, all the Nazis were being condemned and, and being taken to trial for all kinds of crimes against humanity, there was a huge debate as to how they were going to set it up. America and Britain were perhaps the senior partners, but they didn't want to make France feel completely left out. So the lawyers were of different nationalities, different legal codes even, but it was in front of actual court judges rather than having a jury in front of them. So yeah, so there, there's sort of like an echo into the modern world with that as well. And so the last thing I'm going to leave you with is in the British courts, people know about the wigs, okay? Why do judges have those ridiculously large wigs? They don't wear them in every court. We're talking about things like the High Court here in Britain. But why do they have those massive, massive wigs? And the answer is it's actually in reference to Charles II. It was in mourning of his death that these sort of wigs hung around. They're kind of mirroring the sorts of wigs that Charles would have. There is still one wig-making shop in 
the temple area in central London near all the high courts and all the major courts in London. And if you walk around there, there are all these various sort of like solicitor offices and these sort of like wonderful throwbacks, tailors, so you can get the right suits and all this kind of stuff. It's very British law, shall we say. It's not the sort of thing that an American lawyer would ever, well, I'm sure they'd be fascinated by it, but it's not something that they would relate to particularly. But it does show you how law just sort of permeates everywhere in all times for the last two and a half thousand years. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, another podcast coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.